Yo, what's going on with your main man, Rick the Dawn? Hey, what's going on, y'all? So I finally got a chance to check out Talk to Me. I watched it. It was amazing. Um, I give this film a 7.8, and I have a lot of talking points, so let's jump right in. You might want to know some things right off the top. Is it scary? It's very scary. It's very uncomfortable. Um, I've heard some stories of people fainting. Is it that scary? I don't think so. Um, in my in my theater, we had some little high school kids in there. They were laughing at a couple parts. So I don't know. I'm not sure people were fainting. Nobody fainted during our watch through of the film. But a lot of um, intense moments. I will concur. That is what happens. If you want to know about pacing, it starts off. It starts off incredibly slow. And I'm telling you, I almost walked out of the theater. Well, I, all right, I'm being. I'm exaggerating. But I wanted to walk out of the theater. I thought this is going to be the most cheesiest film ever. For the first 20 minutes of the film, I'm like, dude, how long is it going to take for this film to do what it's supposed to do? Now, they do have a crazy opening scene. The, cra the opening scene should tell you what, you what you're going to get yourself into. But then it just dies, man. It's just like, All right, I'm about to leave, bro. This is ridiculous. And then it just ramps up and you're like, oh, snap. I'm glad I didn't leave. That's kind of how this film is. It starts you on a super high, drops you to the lowest of all lows, and then it kind of picks you back up and you steadily incline back up to the top. Um, it's a Aussie film. This is my first first time watching a Aussie or Australian horror film. And let me tell you, their style of horror is completely different from ours. You know, there was no real talk of demons, Satan, and all that weird stuff. That's all American stuff. Out there, it's just spirituality. And I felt like that's where this film is based. It's based in spirituality. And, you know, it wasn't a lot of fake, cheap jump scares. You didn't get a lot of that. And I think that is another difference between American horror and Australian horror. They didn't really depend on jump scares. Their scares came from intensity building. They built intensity and made you feel like you were the person. And that essentially is what they use for her. I mean, that's how they, they got their scares. Um, a lot of times I'm looking at this film, I'm like, these people feel real. That's another thing I'll point out as a positive. The people felt real. Um, they felt so real that it was kind of uncomfortable. That's what made it uncomfortable. It's like, these people feel like real people. And they very, very well executed that particular concept. These people felt like real, genuine people. And that's what made it scarier as well. And you know how real people are. We've all, you know, seen people that's a little quirky, a little weird. So, you know, you watch these characters and they come, they come across as a little quirky. It's like, do they know the camera's watching them? And that is where the film wins. It's very, very original. You can't necessarily say this film is like that. This film is like that because it's so unique. And I think, again, it goes back to it being a Australian horror film. You can't say, oh, this is like The Conjuring or this is like, does it have some of those elements? It does, but ultimately it feels like its own original thing. And I like the way they handle some parts. I dislike how they handle other parts. And I also will say, as a very, very big point, they did an amazing job in the audio department. Man, their audio was top notch. Like their sound effects, I'm not sure who the sound effects engineer is, but he or she deserves a raise. Because it was just like, when they were cracking their head into things, you felt it. You were like, ooh, you could, like, there were people just cringing at the sounds. I mean, these sounds were like Mortal Kombat-esque. You know, that's how good this, the sound quality was. Uh, I know one, one point in the film, the young lady was just slapping herself, like, you know, and just imagine every time she's doing this, you hear her like, 
It was like the slaps are so over the top. And yeah, I, 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 the ending. Um, the end, I'm, I'm going to spoil everything. So if you don't want that, come back later. But the ending was very, very original. I haven't seen a ending that well executed. And that is my basic review of the film. Now, if you stay beyond this point, we're going to talk about story details. So I'll let you decide whether or not you want to be here. So the film starts off with a crazy high uh, with this young man being locked in the room. His brother comes and save him. And his brother ends up getting stabbed by his brother, who he saved from the room. And then the brother who stabbed his brother commits suicide by going straight to the face with a knife. And it's like, are we, is that, was, is that what we're about to, okay. Then from there, the film just takes a huge plummet into boredom as you get more story and back to back background details about each character. And the main character, uh, Mia, beautiful young lady, Australian ac uh, accent. She, uh, she, you know, goes and picks up Raleigh, which is the little brother of her best friend. While they're going home, they see this kangaroo. Hey, what up, Dr. Juwan? Dr. Juwan in the building. I don't even know why you up, Dr. Juwan. <laughs> yeah, it was a good movie. Pretty good. But no, uh, on their way home, they see a, a a kangaroo on a road. And that's why, that's when I knew, I was like, wait, something's a little off about this. Like, you know, you might see where I'm from, you might see a deer. But that was the cool part about this horror film, the fact that it was Australian-based. Um, and you saw things that you don't normally see, like a kangaroo in the road screaming, help me, help me. I felt, I felt like it was saying help me, but it wasn't. Um, but it had been hit and, you know, they were deciding whether or not to put it out of its misery. But I just like that element of it, the fact this was an Australian horror film. You don't really see some of the stuff we saw. We don't, and even their jokes and their behaviors is like, yo, that just, that, that feels like it, it didn't feel right. It was like. The way they were talking and some of their like catchphrases and some of the stuff they were laughing about, uh, some of the stuff that they were wearing, I was like, oh wow, you wearing that outside? All right, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, but it's because it's from a whole different country, so their, you know, the things that they find cool don't necessarily resonate here. In fact, I'll even throw in another cool point. As I was going into the movie theater, there were people out handing out um, cue cards or cue codes. And asking us to uh, give feedback about the film, and they were going to give us five dollars and a gift card. So you can kind of tell that the Australian filmmakers want to know how American people respond to this film, giving all the things that are new and different um, in comparison to their own culture. I didn't do the review, but I just noticed it, and I wanted to share it with you all. Like they, they're clearly trying to infiltrate the American horror market. Um, the Australian filmmakers are trying to do that because they want to know how we felt. And I wish I could tell them because I didn't feel like doing a whole cue card. I didn't feel like doing all that. But I'm, I'm doing it now. Right. I liked it overall. I give it a, I give it a 7.8. But anyway, um, they're on their way home and they see this kangaroo on the road. They drive past it. You know, you get a whole bunch of talking dialogue. It gets really, really boring. You get to meet uh, Riley's big sister, Mia's best friend. And the story basically centers around those three. Then. You see that Mia and her, uh, Riley and uh, what's her name? I don't know her sister, the big sister's name. But anyway, Mia and her best friend finally run into this group of kids who apparently do this weird ritual thing with this hand. Now, let me talk about the hand for a minute, because maybe you want to know about that. Uh, Dr. Juwan said, what's good, Rick? Um, I'm on the other side of the world. 
So it's 6.45. Okay, that's that explains. I'm like, why is Dr. Juwan up? I thought that nobody would be up at like 5, 6 in the morning. But that makes sense. But check it. So the hand, you want to know more about And Dr. Juwan, you know Big Brother's coming up, by the way. So I know we're going to be, yeah. Oh, I don't know if you watch Big Brother. Do you watch Big Brother? I think you do. But anyway, um, the hand is a really, really big point in this film. And I really want to make sure I break it down. So it looked, well, based off what I was able to gather, the hand is the hand of a seance. And I believe a seance, and don't quote me on this because I have no, I'm really trying to, I don't know. A seance is the person who can talk to the dead. So apparently this seance, he or she became infamous for being able to talk to the dead. So I think he or she might might have scared the, re the, 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 um, the residents in the area that he or she was in. So they cut his or her hand off. I'm just going to say him. Uh, I don't know. They cut him or her hands off. And then they pretty much molded it in plaster. And I'm not sure why they did that. It's like, I think they felt um, the seance's hand had like these magical gifts and powers. So they didn't want the mind and brain behind the seance to be alive. They wanted to kill that person. However, but keep the mystical power alive. And they encast it in plaster and made a mold of it. So and an interesting part of what they said in the film was, if you were to break that little cast that you see in the film, the real hand would be there, which I thought was insane. I'm like, okay, that's a little over the top. Like, seriously, I'm not even sure that would work. Like, if you if you cut somebody's hands off or hand off and then you put it in plaster, it's going to die off and shit turn into bone at best. But they kind of wanted you to believe that the real hand was just encased in plaster and that they pretty much saved the hand of the seance. And a lot of big questions here. And then one thing I like about Australian horror films, not to get too far off track, they did a great job at tying up loose ends. I know with a lot of American films, the horror films, it's like, wait, how did that happen? That doesn't make sense. Oftentimes, I hate watching American horror films because I'm like, it doesn't make sense. It's like they're making these weird decisions to keep the time and the runtime going. And it's like, this doesn't connect to that. That doesn't connect. One thing about this Australian horror film, everything kind of tied itself back together. And I really, really enjoyed that. I was happy to see that they took the time to say, wait, what this has to, they really like mathematically broke things down. I like that. And you really pick that up subconsciously. You don't really notice that uh, off the top. But anyway, the seance's hand was encased and somehow these teenagers get this hand. And I wanted to know like, how was, how was, the, how was something this powerful being spread around a high school community. But then again, it made sense when you think about it. Whoever used it, they just kept throwing it away. Like, hey, give it to the next person. Give it to the next person. And before long, it got down to, you know, who we see have it in the film. And another very interesting, what up, Dr. Juwan says, yeah, I'm going to watch Big Brother. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, another crazy part about this film is this hand, you might think, Yo, once a few people see what happens when you touch this hand and say these magical words, this thing will be thrown in the ocean. But no, what happens is the hand is like a drug. It's kind of like drugs in real life. When you go to high school and you see all these people off of acid, pills, mushrooms, ecstasy, you're like, yo, you would think the mind would say, I don't want to do that because I'm seeing what it's doing to these people, especially things like cocaine or crack. You see tons of horror stories and fentanyl and all this opioids. You see all these horror stories around that. And you would think the average person would look and say, you know what? I don't want to try drugs because of that example. And the same is true in this film. 
when they all kind of get together and they all test it out. And, and if you don't know, Mia had lost her mom um, and she's living with her father. So she's having some heartbreak there because she feels like, you know, her mother died unexpectedly. Um, and apparently the mother had committed suicide. So that was what the story or the film is trying to get you to understand. But anyway, Mia's clearly having this hard time reconciling with the fact that she lost her mom. So they looking online, they're seeing these videos of these high school kids having a fun party and a good time, touching his hand and then going into the other world. And then they're snapping back into the regular world. And I think it's like the social media viral thing. So Mia and her friends, they finally go to this party where they're having this little party with the hand. And Mia volunteers to go. She touches the hand and the whole rules are, you must say, talk to me while you're holding the, the little hand, the seance's hand. And when you do that, immediately you see, or in the film, immediately they see a dead person. And the first time Mia sees a dead person while uttering those words, talk to her. Uh, she's absolutely shocked. And, and as a viewer, we're shocked as well because we see this crazy monstrosity of this thing. And you're like, yo, what the what the heck is that? And immediately after she sees it, she lets go of the hand. And then she kind of regroups and say, you know what, let's let's do it again. And she holds the hand, says, talk to her, and she sees it again. But this time she's able to stomach it. Now, can we take a break here? Because if I'm at a party, and I would like to think, even if I'm 18, 17, 19, I have this mindset. If I go to a party and they have a seance's hand, first off, I'm leaving. But if I do stay, okay, fine. If I touch the seance's hand and I say those words, talk to talk to me, and I see a dead person, I would like to think, I'm not sure, I'm not exactly sure, I would like to think that I'm out of there on the first thing smoking. However, in this film, these kids find it to be the most hilarious thing ever. So as such, they're like, yo, yo, did you see his reaction? I'm like, bro, did you see the dead person? No, you didn't see the dead person. I'm like, dude, this is insane. Anyway, so after some time, she really gains her confidence. And they say, well, the next step is you have to tell the spirit to come into you. You have to utter a certain phrase. And um, you can only embody that spirit. These are the rules for 90 seconds. And if you don't disconnect within that 90 seconds, then that spirit will want to stay and basically take over you. That's kind of the rules. So Mia goes under, touches the hand, says talk to her, and then she tells the little entity to enter her. And then once that happens, she ends up staying for like, like too long. Now, I got to take another pause. The film tells you that the person doing the whole talk to me spill can only stay in for 90 seconds. But I don't know how long 90 seconds is, and I didn't take out my phone to clock it. But let me tell you, and every time every time that somebody went under and did this whole talk to me spiel, it felt like they were doing it for like three minutes. And I'm like, bro, I don't know if the editors check their watches, but it feels like Mia is holding his hand for a solid four minutes. And maybe that was just the intensity. I don't know, but it felt like four minutes in my personal. It felt like at least, at least two minutes, okay? Because theoretically, and maybe it's different in Australia. Maybe time is different. I don't know. But I'm like, bro, she's been in there for about two minutes, at least, okay? But anyway, um, she ends up having this outer body, um, outer body experience, and she ends up staying in this, uh, this state, the state of imagination, um, a little over. In fact, when they're trying to disconnect Mia, she ends up holding on to it for a little too long, and that causes her whole life to change. And after her, um, other people start to go, and you see this cool little montage 
of all the people going under and doing this whole talk to me thing. And you see them all have this weird reaction. So what happens if you don't know what it looks like after the person touches the thing and says, talk to them and then tells the spirit to enter their whole face turns like zombieish, And it's the really it's the coolest effect ever. But then um, when they disconnect, everything goes back to normal. Now, one thing that was interesting and why I said that this was like a drug to them, I believe Riley, the younger brother of her best friend, asks Mia, so Mia, what does it feel like to go under? And she's like, it feels like you're glowing. And I was like, oh, that's kind of what, you know, I guess what drugs might feel like. And so this hand becomes this drug to the teens and it becomes like the newest sensation. So anyway, Mia you know, coincidentally becomes addicted to this feeling and they have a party at um, Mia's best friend's house. Now, the mother of Mia's best friend is a show stealer. She was incredibly funny. She was somebody who provided a lot of comic relief. Anyway, she's kind of up to something. She, she sniffed that they're having some kind of party. She's asking everybody like, so why is everybody over here? You know what I mean? So anyway, she goes to work and then everybody comes over, including the two teens. It was a guy and a lady who basically owned the arm or the hand. And they were the ones who were providing the experience to everybody who wanted to go under. And um, so they, they all meet up at Mia Best Friend's house. And Mia decides to go under again. She has an, a, another intense experience. Now, mind you, she had already gone on for, under for about 91 seconds, according to the film. I felt like it was like 196, but whatever. Um, but she had already gone gone under, and this is her second or third time. And at some point, you realize like Mia's gone under like seven, like you know, it was more like four times she's gone under and did this whole spirit thing. But it didn't really seem to affect her like we might think. It didn't affect her like that. It didn't affect her like okay, she's went over some under some so many times, so now it's like she's gonna be seeing things all over the place. No, it didn't really happen that way. She did see things that other people didn't see, but it wasn't so intense that you expected jump scares every five seconds it just kind of happened gradually and you just noticed like oh okay she's seeing more things than the average person but here's where the whole film takes a huge turn because after mia goes under uh riley mia's best friend's little brother decides he wants to go under as well and everybody's like no 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 he's too young don't let him do it but mia's like don't worry it's only going to be a few like I, I, she's went under basically she's saying i already went under so i know what to expect it's not going to be too bad it's kind of the equivalent of uh, going to your best friend's house, they got a little sibling, and you guys are drinking because you know your, your, the parents are not there. And then a the little brother or sister says, "Hey, can I have a can I have a drink?" And then of course, you know their big brother or sister's like, "Nah, nah, he's too young. He's gonna tell." And then it's like, "No, nah, let him do it. It's not gonna hurt him. We we drink it right now. It's not a big deal." So anyway, that's kind of what it's like. But they let Riley go under and touch the seance's hand, and he ends up staying under for like five minutes. Seriously, it's like five minutes because he has the most insane reaction. Uh, we, we talked about Mia's mother having passed away or via suicide in the film. So when Riley goes under, you know, he's talking to Mia's mom, theoretically speaking. And once Mia sees that Riley is talking to her mom, she has a lot of questions. So when everyone would normally disconnect from the seance's hand, Mia's like, no, no, no. This is my first time being able to talk to my mom. So she's like, keep his hand there so she can talk to her mom. Like, you know, that was a very intense moment because... If you've ever lost someone, you know just how much you would love to talk to that person again. And in that moment, you sympathize with Mia, but you're also like Mia. You know, Riley's been under for more than 90 seconds. you got to let this guy come back because if not, he's going to have some problems on his hand. And he's, he's a kid. Like, I think the way that they depicted Riley, Riley had to be every bit of 15 years old. So you feel for Mia because you know she wants to talk to her mother. And Riley is the only person that can 
provide that comfort at the moment. But you also know that Riley's 15 underage and you're thinking to yourself, yo, you're thinking about minors and you're thinking about children. And you're like, yo, save him. Mia, you're going to have to wait. But no, Mia actually encloses Riley's hand onto the seance's hand and like kind of holds it in. And Riley starts tripping because like now he's in there too long. And again, he's like talking to Mia on behalf of the mother. And again, it's a really huge debate out there whether or not Mia was actually talking to her mother or a demon representing her mother. Again, this film, because it's an Australia, uh, Australian horror film, they didn't really lean too heavy on demons and Satan and all. That's American stuff. It was more spiritual. So it didn't really get into, you know, the fact that Mia was talking to her mom via some kind of demon. That would have been American, American film. No, it just it, they kind of left it out there for interpretation. Like maybe it could be Mia's mom. You never really know. Uh, more so they make you feel like it is. But anyway, Riley has this adverse reaction to being under this seance for so long, and he starts to wig out, and they have the most beautiful effects, man. Let me tell you something. He starts to shake, and then he explodes away from the table that the hand is on, but again, his hand is attached, and he basically busts into a wall, and he's shaking, and then the most gruesome part of the film, I heard that people were uh, fainting as they were watching the film. This had to be about where it happened. He starts to crack his own head on every surface in the house. Like he went to the sink, boo. He went to the library, but boo. He went to the doorknob, boo. Anyway, I'm exaggerating. But anyway, uh, the point is, he hit his head so hard that you just couldn't like. It's like you heard the bones cracking through the audio speakers in the theater. Now you know the theater's got some huge speakers. You felt every hit and you felt even worse the fact given the fact that it was a 15 year old boy like this film did not feel bad for you and did not want to be they, they, this film did not want to be censored and it was so hard to understand it because i told you what happened when you get to that second half of the film it's so boring that you have no idea the film has the guts to go here because you watch the first scene and the dude stabs himself in the face you're like okay that has that's insane. And they show a great detail of the stabbing in the face. It's like, oh, okay. But then it drops and becomes so boring. I'm talking about like Brady Bunch boring. And you're like, it's okay. I'm, I'm a, should I walk out? Like, so you never even know it's gonna get this crazy. So when it gets back up to this point, you're like, oh crap. You know what I'm saying? It's like we're okay. I'm definitely not leaving the theater. I think I mean, this is my, my numerical rating system watching this film. It starts off at a nine. It drops down to a four or five. Okay, that's how low it drops. And then when you're seeing Riley crack his head on stuff, it goes back up to like an eight. So it's like this weird roller coaster of horror that you just got to try to figure out. And people in the theater were just having such adverse reactions. They just couldn't believe what they were seeing. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Riley eventually has to go to a hospital. We thought this guy was dead. And here's the coolest part. Well, not the coolest part, but... Um, by this point, he's cracked his head so many different times and he would have died because there's a point in the film when he's going through this episode that he goes for one last blow and he basically takes his head or the demon, whatever, whatever possessed this kid. He takes his head way back. And he, you just know that if he hits this piano one more time, and I'm gonna be honest with you, you should have been dead already. Okay. <laughs> Maybe the first three hits would have killed the average person. But anyway, 15 year old kid, he had a big head too. I'm like, bro, there's no way he's taking all these hits with that head, that size. You'll see his head. You don't know what I'm, what I'm talking about. So it's like one more hit and everything is over. But no, listen, his sister, his big sister comes and puts her hands on the uh, the edge of whatever it was, like a piano or something. So when he slams his head down, she his head hits her knuckles. And then you can tell the impact is so 
impactful because number one, her hands end up ends, ends up ble bleeding, and then you hear the amazing sound effects I told you about. So anyway, he goes to the hospital. His mother finds out that they were doing some kind of party, and she immediately goes on the attack and says, "Mia, I know you had something to do with it because you experiment with drugs." And then you know, ultimately, she finds out that Mia didn't necessarily drug the little brother and cause this issue. But she uh, probably should know, and I don't think anyone ever mentioned this in the film, it was Mia's fault because she made Riley, held his hand into the seance saying, she made him stay there longer than he needed to stay there. So after that happens, Mia starts to see things. Uh, she starts to hear things. She goes back home. Her father is trying. It's like one of those weird things. we already seen this in a ton of films where the father or the one parent is trying to connect with the, the, the team, but she doesn't want to connect because of something she's upset about. So anyway, she goes home. She starts to see things. She starts to hear things. Uh, she invites her best friend's boyfriend over. And one of the weirdest scenes, and I, I almost skipped over this, if you can believe it. But one of the weirdest scenes happens. I didn't even talk about Daniel this entire time. Uh, but Daniel is Mia's ex-boyfriend and Mia's best friend's current boyfriend. So eventually Mia goes home because, again, her uh, best friend's mom just doesn't want to talk to Mia. She thinks it's about drugs. She thinks that Riley was drugged. So Mia goes home and she's like, I'm just so upset. She calls Daniel, her best friend's boyfriend, her ex-boyfriend. They go home and they sleep together, not sexually, but just sleep in the same space because Mia needs comfort. Mia's in the bed and she goes to sleep and she has these weird dreams and visions. And this is where things get kind of scary. She looks in the corner while she's sleeping. It's pitch black. And she sees this figure in the corner of the room. And this figure turns out to be this old lady that's just dripping in blood and guts. And she does the weirdest thing, the, the little monster lady. She sucks on Daniel's feet while Daniel's asleep. And they, they were sleeping side, like in a weird like reversal way, like when you're trying not to do anything with somebody. Like, you know, Daniel was sleeping at the foot of the bed and Mia was sleeping at the head of the bed. So Daniel wakes up and finds out that it's actually Mia that's sucking on his feet. But Mia thought it was a little monster seance entity that was sucking on Daniel's feet. And that is when we find out that Mia is having visions, i.e. from being in this whole world for far too much and long. Um, and we're starting to realize that she's starting to see double things, that her reality doesn't quite match what's happening. So when she thinks that the monster is sucking on Daniel's feet, it's actually her. And then Daniel wakes up and is like, yo, what, what's going on? Okay. And by this point, Mia starts to uh, realize that she's seeing things. She goes to the hospital to see Riley. She sees her mother there. Um, what else? Oh, yeah. Then she goes back to sleep and has a vision that her mother comes to see her. Uh, and then her and her mother actually go to sleep together. It's a lot of stuff like that that you start to start to realize that Mia goes through. Okay. But to move forward a little bit, Riley is suffering in a hospital and the teens are trying to figure out how do we end his suffering? He's coming up. He's like waking up. But when anytime that Riley wakes up in a hospital, his face is completely battered and bruised. But anytime Riley wakes up in a hospital, he, he instantly tries to kill himself all over again. Uh, he wakes up in the bathroom and literally starts to crack his head into the back of the bathroom panel or the wall. So they immediately realize that something's going on. Mia comes up with the bright idea, hey, we have to save Riley. Let's see if we can bring the hand to the hospital, take him back into that spiritual realm, and bring him out. Now, here's how this whole portal works. When you touch the hand, and I want to go into detail, because I don't, I don't know how this all out. This could be real. I don't want nobody trying stuff. But apparently, according to the film, if you touch the hand, you have to light a candle. That opens up the spirit realm. And when they disconnect you, you have to blow the candle out. And that is what closes the spirit realm. Well, you know what happened to Riley, the younger brother of the best friend. 
Uh, when all that stuff was happening, I think they left the candle lit. And what happened was um, they think that they left the portal open. So Mia's like, let's go to the hospital. Let's get this whole candle thing popping. We'll blow the candle out and that should close the, uh, the portal. But they find out it doesn't quite work that way. When they go to the hospital, they light the candle and Riley is knocked out. And I was wondering the whole, wondering the whole time, how are they going to get Riley to say talk to him while he's in a coma? But again, they figure it out. And they find out that there's no way that Riley can speak and he can't say anything. So Mia does this weird thing where she says, talk to him. Like she's trying to speak for him, but it just doesn't work. Anyway, she goes back into the spiritual state for herself. She's like, maybe if she goes in, she can go and save Riley wherever he is in the hospital. And I knew this was a bad idea. I'm thinking to myself, Mia, uh, talk using this hand apparently allows you to see dead people in the spiritual realm. If you go to a hospital and you use this hand, like it's like, limit there's no limit to the amount of spirits you're going to probably encounter that's what i'm thinking as a viewer so anyway she goes to the hospital her and her friends she has the hand riley is in a coma and they put um you know they tried riley's hand it didn't work so now mia's going to try her hand to save and find riley she uses the hand she says talk to her and she finds out that there's a little girl that's lying on the bed of riley and she asks the little girl hey can i save him is there a way to save him and she's like look it's a wrap for riley and Mia says, well, can you show me where he is now? Try. She's like, are you sure you want to see him? And she's like, yeah, I really want to see him. So Mia and a little girl, I think, touch hands and connect again. And you see all these dead forces, dead bodies. It's like the most disgusting scene you'll see this year, probably. They're all hovering over Riley's body and smothering them. If you want to know what it looked like, imagine being in a room full of blood and guts and goo and jello, <laughs> right? And then imagine 400 huge people just covered in that the goop and stuff come into that room. You're the only one in the room. Imagine 300, 400 of those uh, just gooey, oversized people. I don't know why they were oversized. They were, though. They're like gluttonous people. They come into the room with you and they all just swarm your body and hold you down in headlocks. That's what Riley was experiencing. So when she sees that, she sees that Riley is basically just being hugged like this by old women that's over, like full of guts and blood. And they're just basically smothering him. So you get a sense of why Riley can't come too, because he's just being swarmed by all these spirits via being in contact with that seance for far too long and not having the candle blew out. So she starts to realize there's no way to really save him. Okay, okay. so she goes home. She's like going through it. Um, her mother comes to her again like, hey, you know, your father is not telling you the, telling you the truth about what happened. Um, her father had tried to make her feel like her mom, Mia's mom, had died via suicide or a sleeping pill overdose. And the spirit mom comes to Mia. She's like bloody and gutty as She's scary looking. She's like, your father is lying. Your father is lying. And as a viewer, you have to decide, is this really Mia's mother trying to you know, tell her her father is a killer? That's what she's trying to insinuate. Or is this an evil spirit impersonating her mother trying to confuse Mia about her father's role and her mother's death? So we do get some clarity about that because Mia's father comes to her like, hey, we have to talk. I have something I haven't been showing you. So, you know, her father shows Mia the suicide letter that her mother left. And this just sends Mia into a tailspin because all this time she's talking to the spirit version of her mother who's telling her that she didn't die from a suicide. But here's a physical real note that tells and clearly lays out the fact that her mother committed suicide and she felt really bad the fact that she was leaving Mia 
and her siblings. So Mia is really struggling with this imbalance. And by this point, she's wigging out. She's seeing stuff all over the place and she's just tripping. So anyway, um, she gets this, like she goes into her room and then you start hearing this huge bang at the door. Her father just gave her this groundbreaking information about her mother, confirming that her mother really committed suicide. But the door is locked. And then as she hears this banging on the door, Mia uh, gets a visit from her mother and her mother's like, yo, that's not your dad at the door. It's like some kind of entity. Um, and then you see another shot. And this is hard to explain. I'm going to try my best. You, you see the evil version of her dad banging on the door, but you also see the real version of her dad in the living room still holding the letter that her mother originally wrote, the suicide letter. But then Mia's in there with her dead mother, the dead entity mother, and then you have the dead entity father at the door. And the mother's like, that's not your father at the door. So we're confused as the audience just trying to figure out, okay, real father in the room, fake father at the door, dead mother, fake mother, real mother, we don't know, talking to Mia. Okay. I hope that makes sense. That's the best I got. So anyway... Eventually, the father gets inside the room and, you know, and Mia grabs some scissors and stabs the father. Turns out this spiritual version of her father is her real father. And she's basically been confused and set up. So anyway, this, this is it gets really convoluted, long story short. But this is like the greatest part. But um, her mother, the dead version of her mother, tells her, hey, Mia, the only way to really save Riley is to kill him. Uh, that is the only way to free him from the hold of the spiritual gluttonous, gluttonous people that's that's holding him captive. So she goes to the hospital, attempts to kill Riley. And by this point, Riley's mother has found out that Mia really didn't try to drug him. This was something unexpected that happened. He had some kind of meltdown. That's how they kind of claimed it. So she starts to feel, you know, pretty good about Mia by that point and allows Mia to have some alone time with Riley. And she doesn't realize that Mia is there to kill Riley, to set him free, because Mia's dead mother pretty much told her that that was the way to free him from the bondage that he was in spiritually. OK, um, <clears throat> so anyway, she gets to the hospital. She's preparing to kill Riley with scissors the same way that she stabbed her father. Uh, but it turns out she's just going to take him out of the bed. And we see a shot of her rolling the little brother up a hill and down a hill into a freeway pathway where she's apparently going to dump the little brother onto the freeway. Now, by this point, she's already called her best friend and told her best friend to meet her at her house, Mia, access her best friend to meet her at the house. And this was to get her away from the hospital so that she could visit Riley again, kill him and set him free. All right. But by this point, her best friend goes home, finds out that Mia, for whatever reason, has stabbed her own father. And, you know, she's called her mother like, hey, mom, don't let Mia get next to Riley because I'm at her house right now. She called me and told me to meet her here. She's not here. And I'm, I just, you know, stumbled upon her, her, her dead father or father that got stabbed. He seemed to be alive. So I can't tell whether he died or not. But anyway, they sprint back to the hospital, drive real fast back to the hospital, which appeared to be about 10 minutes away just before me is about to dump a little brother onto the freeway. Right. So. Huh. All right. So let me set this up. All right. Mia's going through some things spiritually. She wants to free Riley, who she believes is being captive in the spiritual world. And she is going to do that by killing Riley. All right. Riley's mother and big sister find out the plan and they're trying to stop it from happening. Mia and Riley, the little brother, are right at the edge of a freeway where tons of speeding cars are passing by. 
And Mia is preparing, at least we can see that she's about to throw the little brother onto the freeway to free him and kill him. However, uh, it turns out that Mia jumps onto the freeway herself, committing suicide. And that is where everything takes another turn. Because then we see that re uh, that uh, Mia has died. Okay, we find that out. Now, I want to point out something real quick. Um, look, this is one of the best ways I've seen a, de a death handled in a film in a long time. I mean, I mean sausage. this is a long film. <laughs> I didn't expect this video, be, video to be so long, but look, this is the last part. I didn't expect the film to handle Mia's death so awesomely. This is one of the best ways I've seen death captured. So once Mia jumps onto the freeway, killing herself, leaving Riley on the edge, not dead, but still traumatized, uh, we get to see how it looks once someone dies in this world that they're in, okay? So she goes back into the hospital, and you're still trying to figure out, is Mia alive or is this the sp spirit version of Mia? She goes back into the hospital, and all the lights start to shut off around her. And you get the sense that in real life, if someone passed away, this is kind of what it could be like. You never really know. So, you know, the lights start to shut off all around her, and she's starting to realize that she's alone. And before long, something snaps on where she's looking at this guy and she's holding his hand. And it turns out that someone else is using this whole seance's hand. And Mia now is the person that they're seeing when they say those magic words, talk to me. All right. So th that's how it went down, man. It's a lot there. I hope that made sense. I hope it kind of helped you understand what the film is about. And as a final part of this video, a couple things I just want to say in general, okay? Number one, I was always told when it comes to seances and summoning the dead, don't ever do it because you might think that you're talking to your dead relative, but in actuality, here's what I believe. These are just my opinions. You're actually talking to a demon, all right? Because once a person dies, they are not roaming the earth. They're in the ground dead until, according to how I believe, according to my faith, they're in the ground dead and don't know that they're even dead by that point until Jesus returns. OK, that's it. Cut and dry. I hate that. You know, that's a little cringe for you, but it's not for me because I believe it 100 percent. OK, uh, you know, this is why you don't use seances, because you're thinking you're talking to that person when in reality you're talking to a demon impersonating that person. That person is in the ground dead. They'll never even know they're going until Jesus comes back cracks that sky, they'll rise from the dead. So as a point of discretion, never use a seance because you're only opening up something you don't want to mess with. Now, this film does a great job at teaching you that, all right? Though it is teaching you in an entertaining fashion, don't play around with spiritual stuff if you're not prepared for what comes with it. Don't touch seances and stuff like that. You're not going to get visited by your dead relative. In fact, you'll probably be visited by a representation, a evil representation of it. Um, a great example of that, a uh, family member of mine went to a seance to talk to her dead son. And the seance pointed out that the dead son told his mother, leave me the F alone, get the out of here, don't bother me anymore. And when she told me that, I was like, that wasn't your son. All right. Would your son talk to you like that? Of course not. So you really don't want to play with that kind of stuff uh, because you're going to come in great contact with evil forces, in my personal opinion. I think when someone passes away, you just have to understand that, number one, that's a part of life. It happens. It's 
a full rotational process. You live, you go, you live. That's how it go. So when someone passes on, you have to understand that that's the best part of life. Um, you can't fear death, but at the same time, enjoy life because the two are entangled. You just, it just doesn't work that way where a person lives forever. Um, this body has an ex expiration date. So in, in theory, you have to be comfortable with, with with death. And I know that sounds crazy, but you have to eventually become comfortable with it. You have to become comfortable with the possibility of it. Why? Because it's inevitable. Um, you know, look, I don't want to go too deep into it, but I will say that, you know, I, I've seen this happen at least two or three times where uh, a person's a person's passing dramatically affects another person. And what I wish I could always tell that person is, look, focus on what you can control. When someone passes away, you can't control that unless you're directly involved. But if someone passes away and you're not directly there in the space, in the situation to affect it in any way, you have to learn, learn, I'm going to be very, very respectful here. You have to learn to come to grips with that passing because, again, it's, it's inevitable to some extent. And in life, what is the best thing that you can possibly do to, 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 to retain your happiness? I think it is to focus your energies and attentions on things you can control. The minute you allow things you cannot control to affect you emotionally, you're done because you can't control it. So now you're allowing forces that you can't and you can't you can't change to change you. And how are you going to ever get out of that spiral? Good luck. So, you know, in this film you see that to some extent and um it's really unfortunate. It's really unfortunate because you see Mia being affected by her mother's passing. And according to the film, her mother committed suicide. How could Mia affect that in any way? Now, I get it. It's easy to say, well, Mia's mother committing suicide in some way inherently affects Mia because maybe Mia believes she's responsible and made her mother feel uh, emotional, emotionally unstable enough to do that. Because that's another thing. That's what I, I've also noticed. When people pass away, sometimes the beneficiary or the person who was most close to that person feels like they could have changed them or they could have saved them. But we are all people and we all know that we have our own emotions. Now ask yourself, is there anybody that can stop you, truly stop you from doing something that you really want to do? I'm talking to you. Is there anybody on this planet who can truly stop you from doing something that you really want to do? And I'm going, I'm, I mean, maybe so, but I can speak for myself and saying, if I really want to do it, there's no one that's going to stop me from doing it. And the same is true with regards to death. When someone has to go or wants to go or has to, I'm going to go with has to go. Um, there's really not much you can do about that. Um, you know, let's say a person dies from natural causes. You would have had to been there since they were born and had to guide their life perfectly in order to sustain them and maybe remove the day that they passed. Like it's so much that would go into that. And I say that to say there's really nothing you can do. So you can't be affected by things you can't affect personally. You know what I mean? And that's what this film made me think of. You know what I'm saying? But that is my review. I hope it was thorough. I hope you enjoyed it. I gave it a 7.8. Great start. Terrible second half. Decent third half. No, I'll say really good third half. And then the fourth quarter was... Oh, was decent the way they ended it, ended the film. Okay. But that's what I thought. Let me know what you think. If you saw it or you didn't see, it, let me know. I'm I'm very curious to see if I'm the only one who saw it this way. But anyway, that's it. I holla.